Anyone know what that is? That's music to my ears. That's another sale on Shopify, the all-in-one commerce platform to start, run, and grow your business. Shopify makes it simple to sell to anyone from anywhere. Whether you're selling shirts or sandals, start selling with Shopify and join the platform simplifying commerce for millions of businesses worldwide. With Shopify, you'll customize your online store to your brand, discover new customers, and build relationships that will keep them coming back. Shopify covers all the sales channels to successfully grow your business, from an in-person POS system to an all-in-one e-commerce platform, even across social media platforms like TikTok, Facebook, and Instagram. And thanks to 24-7 support and free on-demand business courses, Shopify is here to help you succeed every step of the way. It's how every minute, new sellers around the world make their first sale with Shopify. And you can do it too. I love how Shopify makes it simple for anyone to sell their products anywhere. Whether they're eBooks or earrings, Shopify simplifies starting and running your own successful business. When you're ready to take your idea to the world, do it with Shopify, the commerce platform powering millions of businesses down the street and around the globe. Now it's your turn to try Shopify for free and start selling anywhere. So sign up for a free trial at shopify.com slash c-suite, all lowercase on c-suite. Go to shopify.com slash c-suite, all lowercase on c-suite, to start selling online today. Shopify.com slash c-suite. You're listening to Thinking Outside the Bud, where we speak with entrepreneurs, investors, thought leaders, researchers, advocates, and policymakers who are finding new and exciting ways for cannabis to positively impact business, society, and culture. And now, here is your host, business coach, Bruce Eckfeldt. Are you a CEO looking to scale your company faster and easier? Check out Thrive Roundtable. Thrive combines a moderated peer group mastermind, expert one-on-one coaching, access to proven growth tools, and a 24-7 support community. Created by Inc. award-winning CEO and certified scaling-up business coach Bruce Eckfeldt, Thrive will help you grow your business more quickly and with less drama. For details on the program, visit Eckfeldt.com slash thrive. That's E-C-K-F-E-L-D-T dot com slash thrive. Welcome, everyone. This is Thinking Outside the Bud. I'm Bruce Eckfeldt. I'm your host. And we have two guests today. We have Kelly Perez. We have Courtney Mattis. And they are co-founders of the Cannabis Impact Fund. We're going to talk to them about, uh, I think, a really interesting and a really important aspect of the cannabis industry, which is about social responsibility, which is around racial justice and really kind of understanding how we shape this industry in a way that's really going to help everyone that's involved, not only in cannabis, but everyone really in society. I find cannabis is a fascinating industry because it has such a strong, important history in terms of racial justice. And so, um, you know, it's it's something that we in in the business side really engage in and talk about. There's a lot of discussion going on, both in this industry, obviously, outside the industry, in the general kind of communities, and uh, really want to kind of get into what does it mean? What does it mean in cannabis? What are people doing? What can people do more of? How do people engage in this topic? and really make a difference on a sustained, continuous basis, because that's really what it's going to take to really see the kind of changes that we want to make. So with that, Kelly, Courtney, welcome to the program. Thank you. Thank you. 
Yeah, it's a pleasure to have you here. Um, why don't we start with a little bit about background? Why don't we, Kelly, why don't we start with you? Just kind of professionally, uh, you know, background, how do you get involved in cannabis? Kind of what were you doing before the Impact Fund, before you met Courtney? And then we'll get a chance to learn a little bit more, Courtney, and then we can talk about the history of the fund and what you've done together. Sure. That is a long time ago. We started in business together six years ago, and we'd not met prior to that. So very interesting. I was the governor's yeah. policy advisor um, in 2014 when we were actually, when, when it was the People's Initiative had passed the process to create the legislation to implement Amendment 64 to regulate cannabis like alcohol was in process. There was a good process mm-hmm. around Amendment 64, although equity and justice were not as centered as we wish they were looking back. I wasn't really a part of that process, but realized from my role as human services policy advisor, you know, looking through the legislation pieces and understanding what we were capable of and what we weren't is that there was no coordination. And so work to create an office of marijuana coordination, the first in the country, so that the state agencies responsible for rolling out the pieces of the law that were applicable to them could do it and saw pretty quickly in there, oh, wait a minute, this is municipal. And so individual Mm -hmm. cities are going to decide and the people aren't going to benefit here. The only thing, I wasn't an advocate of cannabis at the time. I was was a public health person, a health equity person, a maternal and child health person. And uh, Uh mass incarceration and the war on drugs are what I cared about. And they weren't represented in in our policy at all. It wasn't part of the thinking. So uh, I left and realized that because we zoned like alcohol, cannabis was popping up in black and brown communities in the Denver metro area because those communities were those disproportionately impacted by alcohol zoning policy, frankly. So it's just a lot of disconnects and, and wanting to figure out how can this community, these people really black and brown people who on the backs that cannabis came from, how do they benefit from this uh, cultural sea change? And uh, Courtney was out there in the world talking about some similar aspirations. And one of our mentors and colleagues introduced us because he he said, we were the only two cuckoos out there who were talking about philanthropy (laughs) and cannabis. And yeah, so that's, that's how we met and have crafted our businesses since to, to try to, to do that. Mm-hmm. Courtney, how do That's you great. tell it? I hope you don't have anything bad yeah. to say. <laughs> <laughs> I have nothing bad to say. No, I mean, I think that my, my perspective, it's so interesting because I, I feel like hopefully as all good entrepreneurs do, I've grown a lot since Kelly and I have met, you know, when we started this work, I was working with a guy, the guy that introduced us, I was a a partner in his consulting firm. And this was a guy who helped with the civil rights movement in the South, the LGBTQ movement in California. He helped pass the ADA. He broke up the United Way monopoly. I mean, he is sort of the grandfather of the nonprofit sector, certainly in Colorado, and was working with him and and always had a, a really clear understanding of the power of people and grassroots movements. And when cannabis started to legalize, it was really important to me that it was available to to everyone and particularly to to family that I know in the South that uh, were very ill and I thought that could benefit to poor people and of course to black and brown folks. So I came at it from how do we get how do we get the greatest access to the people I think need it the most and thought, you know, in my mind at the time it was, well, if we can if we can really demonstrate that cannabis is a community benefit, that they're showing up to support community and partnering with the nonprofit sector. Perhaps we can win and change hearts and minds. Maybe we can win over the people and we can create a broader broader accessibility is and and support legalization. So that was sort of how I came into the work. And then of course, 
in my relationship with Kelly and with the cannabis sector over the last six years, that's evolved. I still think that's really important. I still believe that when cannabis shows up as a community benefit and people are asking for cannabis to be in their neighborhoods and they see business businesses showing up as their neighbors, that we're going to see a greater success in legalization and thus a greater access for people who really need it. However, I have very quickly brought on the the equity lens and and racial justice has become increasingly important to me year after year, month after month and minute by minute. And it's something that I really stand behind now. And it's mostly to the credit of Kelly and her community and their patience and time and educating me and investing in me to become an activated white person, which I don't know that I am, but I am certainly working to be every single day. Yeah. And tell me a little bit about the organizations, because I know you've been you've both been involved in a couple of different organizations to address some of these issues. Where did you start? How's the Impact Fund kind of grown out of that? Tell me a little bit about the efforts you've put together to start to really address some of these issues. So Kind Colorado was our first company, and that is what we crafted to do uh, that community benefit that Courtney was talking about. How do we figure out how the community? And we were always looking at it with a you know racial equity framework, but mm-hmm. we had to we have to to do what our client, we don't get to decide what our clients care about. That's one of what we say. So when it's hunger, when it's domestic violence prevention, to us, that fits in the social determinants of health framework squarely, Mm -hmm. you know, but it's not really something we're going to try to sell like that. But we do community benefit. We do social responsibility so that companies are connected to community, have brand differentiation, have, you know, the ability to contribute to solving community problems. So we started there, but that's consultancy, one company at a time. Our next effort, because when we have a new idea, you know, we just start a new company company basically not really but it's a problem <laughs> it's definitely a problem it is so Courtney why don't you kick off cannabis doing good because that's our okay sure yeah so we really launched cannabis doing good as a way to, to cast a wider net and capture and bring on board all the companies that we thought were doing good in areas of racial justice and sustainability and community impact and spent the last couple of years really fine-tuning that movement and are now in a place where we feel really comfortable activating our purpose-driven community towards a membership program and then a standard. And so hopefully in the next few months, we'll be launching our membership program and the Cannabis Doing Good Standard so that patients and consumers can use the power of their dollar to to shop black or brown-owned, women-owned, LGBTQ-owned, sustainable companies. And Mm so I'm pretty excited about the future of Cannabis Doing Good. But what I can tell you is in our past, we've been doing events and running fundraisers. And what we are most known for across the country is is hosting these party with a purpose events and running these fundraisers. And we've never done it under or with under our own nonprofit arm. And so when we had the opportunity to launch our own nonprofit, despite our sort of argument with the universe that we in fact did not want to be running a nonprofit. <laughs> here we are running a nonprofit and yeah. it's just another leg to the stool that we're building here. Yeah. Kelly, I'll let you talk about Cannabis Impact Fund. Sure. So yeah, luck, amazingly enough, the Sensible Colorado folks offered us their fiscal agency. It was a nonprofit that was, you know, at the beginning of legalization here, but had not, you know, really wanted to continue the good that they were doing, but weren't actively doing it and said, would you like our nonprofit? After seeing us kind of stumble and be awkward and raising money, which we still have done for COVID relief in Colorado, for example, but the mm-hmm. Cannabis Impact Fund allows us to accept donations from cannabis companies. And we are looking for cannabis companies from across the country. We'd like to from every state that it's regulated in to uh, be founding members. We're looking for $10,000 and 1% of an item or a revenue or, you know, a profit, something that they choose. Mm-hmm. that's an ongoing, you know, kind of crafted after 
1% for the planet so that we are part of the larger racial justice effort nationally. And we you know, are so deep in this work, we get that we're still removing barriers for cannabis to participate at this level. But we want to be part of you know, the movement for black lives, we have to be. And, and it's not easy, honestly, for a campus no. to play at the table. So we have credibility and this fund allows us to contribute to the Black Futures Lab, the Color of Change, the Bail Project, who are, you know, lovely organizations who are working mm-hmm. with us, as well as our own in-house cannabis organizations that have been working on racial justice from the beginning, Hood Incubator, Minorities for Medical Marijuana, and the Minority Cannabis Business Association. So again, creating a way for cannabis to step into this actually quite complicated space, but one that we're really comfortable in, uh, a vehicle for, you know, standing up and recognizing we know where cannabis came from, we get the context, we get the opportunity, we get that the ink is still wet on the policies and best business practices. And part of them can be just justice. Uh, we yeah. don't have to be like every other extractive industry that exists. We are crafting ourselves. Why would we not craft ourselves in our, our what we aspire to be? And we need not be perfect, but step in. Yeah. Yeah. I'm curious, like as you work with companies to kind of figure out how they're going to engage in, in these topics or these issues, what's the process by which you help them or that you suggest they go through in terms of kind of identifying where they want to create an impact? Because, I mean, there's, there's so many different areas. We can talk about sustainability. We can talk about environmentalism. We can talk about racial justice. We can talk about gender equality. We can, you know, economic disparities. I mean, there's, there's, so, there's so many potential kind of challenges or systematic biases that are in these different kind of economies and industries. Like for a company that wants to do something, how do you help them identify like where where they can or where they should, you know, focus their energies and, and, and focus the work that they do. Yeah, the first thing we try to do is really stay very focused on the movement for black lives now. Right. I mean, this our core wound of of anti black racism in this country and mm-hmm. the origin of cannabis are inextricably wound. And so stay focused um, because we aren't going to tackle every single thing right now. Even though our core values are racial justice, environmental sustainability, and community benefit, right now the fund for this 12 months is is completely racial justice. And the way we help folks narrow down is that you get a very basic foundational three-hour anti-bias, anti-racism training if you are a founding member to the fund, because we know people don't know where to start. We know there isn't common language and we get that. This has been our work for for some time. So we're very comfortable helping a company to create the the place that they'll start from. And it really is just a beginning, but we have a network of experts in, in racial justice with hundreds of years of experience if you combine all of them. So we can help you once you get started. It's just that getting started piece that I think is a pretty big um, pretty big step for folks. And we're grateful that we have relationships in the industry and credibility in our, among our peers, you know, that they're willing to be vulnerable with us because that is what it's yeah. going to take. Well, I think, and I mean, it's, it's just fascinating for me because I think that's the biggest challenge. I mean, you know, working with leaders in, in various industries, but a lot in cannabis. And, and when these topics come up, I mean, I think, you know, personally, I get in this situation as a, as a white male, it's kind of, you know, I care deeply about it. I have a lot of desire and, you know, motivation to do something, but I get kind of frozen, right? Like you just, you don't know where to really begin. In fact, like you get a little scared, like I could easily see myself doing the wrong thing accidentally. <laughs> how, how do you really engage in this as, as a leader, as, you know, someone in the industry, 
how do you how do you start the process? What do you what do you advise? How do you help someone kind of figure out that path? Courtney, do you want to be a subject matter expert here, or you want me to jump in? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I don't know if I would say I'm a subject matter subject matter expert. I think that you know Kelly and I talk a lot about analysis paralysis, yeah. and you know the idea that so many folks in cannabis. You know, and knowing that cannabis is predominantly white males, Mm -hmm. they get in that spot of not wanting to do the wrong thing. So they do nothing at all. Mm -hmm. And I think that that I think that's really challenging to overcome because frequently what we're telling folks is you are going to mess up. You're going to misstep. But people's lives are at stake for you to do nothing. And so. You know, I think it's I think we have to really encourage people to have some courage, to be humble, to step forward, knowing that they're going to misstep and they're doing it because to do nothing costs people's lives. And so I think that if you could if you can compel people to be courageous, compel people to be humble and to move into a space transparently to say, I am trying my best. I'm doing I'm doing my work on on gathering the right information and partnering with the right folks who can hold me accountable and bringing in subject matter experts to guide to guide my journey and I am yet with all of that I'm still going to mess up. And so even though it's a little bit um, fluffy, I think the first step with businesses is really ta- talking to them about about being courageous about being humble and really impressing upon them that doing nothing is costing people's lives. Mm -hmm. And this focus Um, on perfectionism, that's one of the pillars of white supremacy frameworks. Like it really is that we think we can't do it if we're not perfect. Only the written word has value. We have to decide really quickly. We got to move urgent, the sense of urgency. And it's just unpack that because folks discomfort, just like Courtney said, it's the, the on one end of the spectrum, my discomfort, not wanting to move in a space that I'm not sure I'm competent in. And the other yeah. end of the spectrum, this lack of willingness to be uncomfortable causes death. You know, like it's I'm willing to step in. I don't I'm not perfect at anything. So let's do this together. And in, for our, for us, we always have sought to kind of be in the background and let our cannabis clients be the heroes of their own story, because mm-hmm. we believe it impacts the narrative so positively. And when do you get to be the hero? Like now you actually get to the 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 old ways are falling away. And the patriarchy is coming down and we know it is. And that's why it's so viciously holding on right now. We can't, yeah. we can't function that way. So there has to be a new way and we have to create space at the table for people who are willing to say, I'm imperfect, but I recognize that I have privilege and I have power. And with that privilege and power, I'm going to create space for other people to enrich mm-hmm. us all. We already know that businesses do better when women are on their board, when women are in their C-suite, when they have a diverse racially, ethnically, otherwise board of directors. Like we already know the data. We know that the, in 2045, we're a majority of color country. We, so it's not the numbers that are keeping people where we are, right? It's holding on to power exactly as it stands and people being unwilling to make mistakes and step in. Um, So these things are not insurmountable, but we've got to do it together and we have to you know, we've got to be courageous together. Yeah. What are some of the things that we actually do? Because I'm, uh, I've seen various kind of strategies or efforts to, um, you know, in, invoke change in different areas. And I'm curious where you're seeing or, or where you see or where you feel the most impact is going to have. I and mean, we have everything from, you know, in, the incarceration issue and expungement of, of criminal records. We've got, you know, investment opportunity. We've got licensing, you know, issuing of licenses. We've got employment. I mean, where, where do you see, like if you 
I think for me, it's it's always hard because this is a system, right? This is a, a system with lots of different facets and lots of different variables that impact each other in complicated ways. How, how do we kind of figure out some of the root causes of this stuff to kind of find changes that are really going to change the system as opposed to just kind of deal with surface level issues? What have you learned? What have you figured out? Where have you found the best kind of impact or the or the best kind of efforts, you know, in terms of the, the changes they'll actually make in the system? Mm-hmm. Such a simple question right there, <laughs> right? It all yeah. depends on your positionality, right? So you're doing it right now from the position that you sit in, um, being willing to have the conversations, recognizing that it is systemic yeah. and not interpersonal. So it depends where you sit. And I think you started with, you know, what are some of the, I think you started with criminal legal. And yeah, that is when we think about social equity, which is you know, a term used to encompass all of these things, equity, racial equity, health equity are, you know, how do we create access for folks who have not had access? So the way we see social equity, if you start with the impacts of the war on drug, that it is being focused on the policy issues around expungement and record clearing and prison reentry, really, it isn't enough just to do that. And, and what can happen automatically in policy and how should cannabis push on behalf of a wider range of issues in criminal legal reform not be so narrowly focused on its own self-interest. That's not okay. The anti-blackness of uh, drug policy is very connected mm-hmm. to cannabis, but cannabis is not the only. We've got to pay attention to all of that, that three strikes you're out, this, these policies that have been around forever that have destroyed yeah. black community, we need to think broader than ourselves. Then second, how do we create pathways for folks who are interested in participating in the sector and making sure that we are targeting, that we want demographic diversity, that we recognize mm-hmm. it wasn't just individuals that paid the price, it was their whole families, it was just it is still so incredibly disruptive. Yeah. So that's where you see some of the, the policies that are attempting to create more more diverse opportunity for people to participate in the industry itself, which is, you know, we're, we're not, we're not gigantic yet. And then third, the whole community, how do we lift up, you know, undergrid the infrastructure and communities around housing, transportation, food access. So there's so many ways that you can do it, but I think you're starting with a value proposition. Is this important to us? Is this a line item in our budget? If we're spending $45,000 a month on our marketing budget, but we don't have, you know, any money set aside to do some anti-racism work inside, then mm-hmm. clearly your values are represented in the budget that's your moral compass and it's not a value to you. So figuring out how do you set those values and then what's most appropriate for where you are. If you're a retail cannabis establishment, well, then you're thinking probably about your staff and as a representative of the communities that you're in, do people are, if I walked in, would I feel like I was seen, I was represented, do people look like me there? Am I making sure I'm carrying products that aren't culture vulture, that aren't just you know, Jamaica all day long, but have no connection to the black community or the Caribbean culture, you know, thinking about from where I sit, I'm noticing my board is everybody looks just like me. Well, that's not probably a good idea, nor is it even financially a good idea, but how do we get to those places? I think you start with some commitments, some value check and some education. Courtney, do you see it differently? No, no, I think that's great. Well, I'm curious what some of the, um, you, you mentioned the whole, you know, am I carrying the right products? Do I have products that are kind of authentically connected to the communities? I mean, are there are there classic things in cannabis or things that you see again and again in terms of things that people don't understand, that, that businesses don't understand, that, that end up impacting this dynamic? I mean, I'm, I'm curious how, as someone who is, you know, looking at this again and again on businesses, what kind of patterns and similarities do you see 
that would be important for businesses to understand about how this is impacting them or, or how, how they're contributing to the kind of the system that we're in? Yeah, that's a that's an interesting question. I don't know if this will answer it directly, but I, I actually go to the fact that I think historically, up until COVID, many cannabis brands were entirely focused on communicating with the bud tender and their you know customer service mm-hmm. folks within retail and not with their consumer. And so you saw, you know, we see the impact of social media. And of course, the people were using social media to interact with with their consumer but and their patients. But I think that knowing that there's going to be a rise in digital marketplaces and certainly e-commerce for hemp and CBD, and then hopefully in the future for cannabis, I think that that brands should be really mindful always that they should prioritize their conversation with the consumer and if they do that, that within and and I shouldn't say that they should prioritize their conversation with the consumer, and they should prioritize that conversation around purpose and not price, because there's so much noise in cannabis around you know uh, the price of products and sales and promotions, and not nearly enough around mission and purpose mm-hmm. and and their message. And so I think if you can get into a conversation with your consumers via digital marketplaces and blogs and social media and all forms of media and video content, then you have this vast and expansive opportunity to really demonstrate who you are. And and that's where we can see brands really demonstrate that they are black or brown owned or they're committed to racial justice or they're woman owned or that they use sustainable packaging. Uh, I just don't think historically we've seen brands interact with consumers and patients in that way, not until very recently, at least in our experience here. Mm-hmm. And there are some barriers, obviously, with marketing and et cetera, but I think Courtney's all, all over it. And these aren't just good ideas. I mean, the, this the purpose-driven brands out there, they are outperforming and they have been outperforming mm-hmm. their peers yeah. in the typical markets. It's just that we don't have the specific data in cannabis. And believe me, we are always asking our clients to help us provide it because it's really critically important. If you, if it, for example, there's a, a well-known edible company out there that some of their staff specifically wanted to be hired, you know, applied for jobs because of the social responsibility work that this company does. That's what they said when they came in for an interview. Mm-hmm. So there's that. So there's being an employer of choice and being attractive and recognizing that millennials especially absolutely care about the values of the companies that they're working And when you think of employee turnover, companies that we've worked with, with, you know, nine different locations, paying so much money per employee to try to bring them on board when they haven't been able to keep them because a satisfied employee does certain things for you. An inspired employee does other things for you. And in cannabis, it's not really just about, you know, showing up every day and doing your retail work. You are an ambassador for that business and for our entire sector. So when you have employees that feel like they're making a difference in the world and a part of something bigger and are really advocating on behalf of us as a sector, that saves you money. It costs you a lot of money to have that be constantly, you know, moving in new employees when we know that churn is a gigantic issue in our space. So while we don't have that purpose-driven data so far in cannabis, we will. And what is happening out there in the world is the expectations on behalf of consumers they certainly are starting to do their homework about what a company stands for. And I don't know why we would think we wouldn't be examined the same way as a Patagonia, as a Ben and Jerry's, as a, these companies that stand for something and it clearly makes them money. Yeah. That will be the future of cannabis as well. Is there anyone that's doing it particularly well? I mean, uh, any, anyone we can kind of highlight or, or talk about as as an example of a company who's who's really found a way to engage in this in an effective way that that we can reference? Mm-hmm. It's funny, we're asked that question a lot. I mean, the one that just popped to the top of my head is Vertosa, 
who is doing some, you know, criminal legal reform, super diverse staff, uh, very respectful in their messaging. When I think of, so that they, you know, appear, we're, we're not on the inside of that company, but from everything we've seen, it is one that we are, admire for sure. When we, when I think of like the people's dispensary and, you know, an organization really seeking to build up the economic and generational wealth of its employees and its community and, and create access for medicine. They're, they're all LGBTQ, people of color owned company. That's I admire. I admire companies like Simply Pure who, you know, wanted James just by the act of being and fighting for creating opportunities for other people is always out there working very hard to create, you know, good experiences for customers, but also move the needle in a way that she, you know, she doesn't get any compensation for. It, it's important. So, um, Courtney, can you think of some other examples? I'm thinking of Bloom Farms. You know, they're a one-for-one cannabis company, and they were, I think, one of the first cannabis companies to come to the space in that way. And, you know, you buy a product and they, they give a meal. And I'm actually trying to get to their site so I could say how, but they've, I mean, they've, they've given over 2 million meals, I yeah, think, at this point. Yeah, that's a community benefit example. Um, Terrapin yeah, Care yeah, Station. Yeah, so that's just a, a one-for-one model. Mm-hmm. Terrapin Care Stations, definitely stepping into the space, supporting local equity efforts, supporting equity efforts in states that they're moving into, seeking to do anti-bias work from within and really examining how is it that they become an actively anti-racist company. And again, we... I don't know that we can point to, well, there's a company that's completely nailing it on every level. Yeah, and that actually, but it's not even that important, right? Yeah. It's much more yeah. that you're doing it, that yeah. you're moving in. And when you think of companies like outside of cannabis, like a Dove, for example, who just completely blew it around race a few years mm-hmm. ago that everybody saw so publicly. And now I heard them used as an example several years later as a company that's actually changed their stripes, you know, that you yeah. see different bodies and different faces and different pigments and melanated people. And, you know, so there's an example of not doing it well and then turning it around and doing it well. So it's a, it's yeah. a journey where we're not going to, I don't know that if we keep our eyes on the, the leaders, that it somehow makes us not feel as responsible for parts of the movement that we can do as individuals, as workers, as consumers, so I hope we have a huge list. Yeah. How do people get involved? I mean, so let's talk about the Impact Fund and, and how you're you know, using that and uh, engaging companies. If I'm a leader in a cannabis business, cannabis-related business, what, what can I do? How can I get involved to actually start this journey? Yeah, I mean, for for engagement in the fund, you know, that right now there are kind of three key ways that folks can get involved. If you are an individual, you can donate. Anyone can donate as little as $10. If you're a business owner, you can come in as a founding member, which is the $10,000 one-time commitment and a 1% pledge of product, um, equity, revenue. Um, and that that has that you can be really creative with how you want to pledge 1% or you can just become a pledge partner and pledge 1% of anything. We encourage folks to do revenue or sales or equity, but we've had folks come in on product and that's entirely okay. And we've seen ancillary companies, CBD companies, cannabis companies, brands, we've seen all different types of folks engage. And, you know, it's interesting because some companies say, well, I'm just getting started and I'm probably going to write you a check for $40 at the end of the year. And we say that is entirely okay. It's not 
solely about the sum. It is truly about the message that we're creating an entire community of cannabis companies from across the country who are saying, I'm willing to give 1% for justice. I'm willing to work 101% of the time so I can give 1% to the black and brown community and to the people who have been doing this work for generations. And if you come in as a founding member, what is included is a three-hour anti-bias workshop. And we do that because we think it's just absolutely fundamental that all of our founding members have begun some foundational work in moving towards being anti-racist and anti-bias. And that's just a first step, but it's something that's really important to us. And so those are kind of the three really easy ways to get involved. You can donate, become a founding member, or pledge. And folks can make good on their pledge every quarter or every year. And, you know, it's not legally binding. This is just a a commitment that we're going to have with us. And we hope you make good on your commitment. And we'll take $5 and we'll take $500 and we'll take $500,000. But we're really happy to meet folks where they are just to get started. There's no need for analysis paralysis. There's no need for perfect. We've really tried to make the easy thing the right thing. And, and so just get started and however small you can. And I love that we're, you know, moving our cannabis to be part of the larger national movement, which, again, just isn't that easy for how would, you know, Whole Grow, who is one of our, our founding members, you know, a small cultivation, powerful but cultivation consultancy, like how would they get involved with the movement for Black Lives? But we've made that really easy. And you don't have to know all of the right pieces. We've been in this space for quite some time in policy and philanthropy and nonprofits and racial justice. And so we're so comfortable helping our cannabis community members to be a part of recognizing that we're just part of this really big story. But we have so many access points and so many levers of change that if we're activated, we could be a model for every other sector. I mean, tell me one sector that's nailing racial yeah. justice. There isn't one. Yeah, exactly. We could yeah, be it and, and we could lead. We should lead, especially when uh, it makes sense. It makes sense. And we're still couched with anti-black racism in terms of the perception of us out there. Like, it's so Mm -hmm. interesting how you were saying, like, well, how as a white guy and in the space do I jump in? And like, you're already in because people look down on you because of Mm -hmm. anti-black racism that's connected to their perception of cannabis. It's so funny. So yeah. let's turn that on their, yeah, on its head and be the heroes and recognize, yeah, we know the bad things you think about us, but in fact, we're cannabis doing good. We're cannabis doing freaking amazing, in fact. I love it. I love it. Um, if people want to actually engage, what's the best way to get that information? Where should they go? What should they do? Go to CannabisImpactFund.org, and that's the best way to engage. And of course, you can sign up for newsletters. You can email us there. And then if folks just want to reach out to Kelly and I, they can go to our website kind colorado and get in touch with us directly there so we're pretty easy to find Uh, whenever someone reaches out you're always going to hear from one of us so we believe in being a really good relationship and building partnerships with our heart open and so there is no there is no person between us and folks who want to engage and that's an intentional design excellent and we can help craft your engagement for whatever business problem you are seeking to solve which is really whether it be employee turnover or brand differentiation or like these things all go together an activated cannabis sector is what we're seeking and and again screw perfect. It really doesn't matter at all. And we've heard some folks say, well, but I'm nervous about stepping out and getting called out. Yep. That may happen. And so what? Invite that person. That's right. And that invite that person to be part of crafting your next step as you, that you will boldly take. Yeah. 
I love it. I'll make sure that all the links are in the show notes so people can click through, get that information. Kelly, Courtney, thank you so much for taking the time today. Great conversation. You know, just the beginning, I know for all of us really, but I know a lot of us are kind of still finding ways of getting engaged. I really appreciate the work that you're doing and, and giving us the opportunity. So thank you for being on the program. Thank you thank for you. the opportunity. Thanks we for having us. So appreciate it. You've been listening to Thinking Outside the Bud with business coach Bruce Eckfeld. To find a full list of podcast episodes, download the tools and worksheets, and access other great content, visit the website at thinkingoutsidethebud.com. And don't forget to sign up for the free newsletter at thinkingoutsidethebud.com forward slash newsletter. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.